Well, uh, good morning, friends. We're glad that you all are, are with us today. Happy Easter to you. Um, before we begin, I wanted to start with uh, a portion of a video. This is a, a Coptic priest in Egypt um, who uh, a week ago tomorrow delivered this sermon uh, to his congregation responding to the instance that I'm sure you're familiar with where a person's bent on um, hatred and death uh, uh, bombed to Coptic Christian churches in Egypt. I think the last count was around 44 persons were killed and certainly many more um, injured. And so this priest is responding to his congregation to say, um, how, how do we respond? What do we do in the face of, of these horrific experiences? And this portion that we'll, we'll watch now is just a section of his response specifically to ISIS fighters who have claimed responsibility for these brutal attacks. So we'll watch that and then reflect on it um, afterwards. It's 3.34. ثاني حاجة رسالة عاوزين نقولها لكم ان احنا بنحبكم ودي مش هتفهموها خالص للاسف مش هتفهموها يمكن لما نشكركم مش هتصدقونا لكن بنحبكم دي مش هتفهموها ليه مش هتفهموها؟ لان برضو دي وصية مسيحنا عاوزين يعني نفسي اكلمكم على مسيحي واقول لكم قد ايه جميل تشوفوا المسيح قد ايه قال لو انتوا بتحبوا اللي بيحبوكم ما تكونش فاضي ولا اجر عندي لان الخطاه موضوع العصابات والحراميه بيحبوا بعض اي حد اي مجموعه بتحبوا بعض بدون مخدرات بيحبوا بعض ويداروا على بعض مش كده؟ لكن انا بقى عايز اقول لكم حاجه اذا احببتم اللاتين يحبونكم فاي فضل لكم اما انا فاقول لكم احب اعدائكم واحنا مالناش اعداء احنا مالناش اعداء غير اللي بيعادينا لكن المسيحي ما يعرفش يعادي حد لانه مطالب من الله ان يحب كل خلق وعشان كده احنا بنحبكم لان دي وصيه الهي ان انا احبك مهما عملت فيا بحبك قوي وبحبك واقول لك اخر حاجه في ليك احنا بنصلينا لان اللي قال كده احبوا اعدائكم قال باركوا لعينكم وصلوا للذين يسيئون اليكم فانا وصيتي من الهي لكل حب بتجبرني ان انا اصلي لك في احد الكبرشيات كان في اسقف الاسقف دوت كان في واحد بيطلع كل يوم في الكبرشيه بتاعته يمسك ميكروفون ويقول على المسيحيين اللي ما يتقالش. فالخدام كانوا بيسمعوا ومتضايقين قوي من من العنف بيهاجم المسيحيين ما عملناهوش حاجه ما عملناهوش حاجه هو ولا يهاجمناه بكده. كل يوم جمعه يطلع ويشتم المسيحيين. وبعدين الاسقف قاعد مع الخدام بتوعه فبيقول لهم ايه؟ بيقول لهم متضايقين من الراجل ده. متضايقين من الراجل ده؟ طب ده قالوا طبعا متضايقين جدا. ايه اللي تعملوا فينا ده؟ فالاسقف سكت كده وشكله بغم. قالوا لي الحق كده على سيدنا طبعا من اللي بيقولوا، قال لهم انا مش زعلان من اللي بيقولوا انا زعلان منكم، انتم خدام انتم. 
كم واحد فيكم بيصليله كل يوم انه لداء محبة الله وعرف مين هو ربنا ما يقدرش يقرأ تاني لان الله محبة كم واحد بيصليله انتم خطين انتم مسيحيين طب انت خادم بتعلم في مصر مدارس الاحد وكاسر وصية المسيح انك بتصلي للانسان ده طب ايه رأيكم ناخد عهد كلنا النهارده ان احنا هنصلبهم ان هما يعرفوا اله الحق ان احنا نصلبهم ان يختبروا محبة ربنا لان لو عرفوا ان الله محبة واختبروا الحب ما يقدروش يعملوا اللي بيعملوه ده ابدا 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 هما مساكين وعلشان مساكين لازم نصلبهم لكن لو الواحد حب ربنا مش هيهرب غير انه يحب احنا لازم نصدرهم عشان يعرفوا يناموا مفتاحين لان الانسان اللي جواه كل ده يعرف ينام مرتاح ازاي For those who have, have been with us from the start of the class, you will remember that in our early weeks, we spent time talking about uh, our theological convictions that ground and root our ability to forgive, that ground and root our desire to even consider the idea of, of forgiveness. We talked about how the kingdom must be the lens through which we view everything else. And it seems to me that that is um, the only way that this Coptic priest could stand before his congregation of folks who very likely have lost friends and, and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters to the hands of terrorism. And he's standing before them saying, somehow we love, somehow we forgive, right? His feet are so rooted and grounded in the kingdom of God that in the face of the most horrific tragedy, this could be his, his response. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Today, we want to spend some time talking about what are the actual steps, phases, processes that we go through to engage in forgiveness. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. First, I want to mention processes of uh, if we were to choose to not forgive, if we were to choose to not engage in this, in this process, and then we'll start with, uh, or then we'll move on to uh, what it looks like to actually forgive. Um, and first, I want to say every decision that we make, every decision, says yes to some version of the world. We say yes to some version of reality. We are affirming some version of reality, whether it's good or bad, positive or negative, uh, of God or not, we're affirming it in our decisions. We're not all, always conscious of that, but our decisions are affirming, affirming and saying yes to some, some version of reality. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, the ramifications of that. Um, but first, and I'm not great with art, so these are, I don't, don't even really know what to say about this one, but hopefully it'll, it'll help and make sense. Uh, okay, so the X represents the, the point at which we are, we are harmed or wounded. So let's talk about the steps that we might go through if we are to not choose to engage in, in forgiveness. Some sort of harm is inflicted against us, big or small, whatever it, it may be. And within 
uh, our choice to not forgive, there are two kind of separate paths we could take. One, we can experience the harm, and the first thing we could do is to suppress it. We could minimize it, we could avoid it, we could say, no, it wasn't, wasn't that big of a deal, I'm, not, I'm, you know, I'm okay, when in fact we were actually, we were harmed. Uh, and we could seek to sort of, again, suppress, minimize it, kind of stuff it down. Um, <clears throat> and the cycle that we enter then in is not one of revenge against the person who has harmed us, but it, it enters into the cycle of actually harming our own selves. Because we've experienced harm and all we've done is say, I'll just let that take up residence in my body. I'll just let that stay there. And so the cycle of, of harm continues, but it continues within us. And ultimately that will then extend out to other people as we have continued uh, harm and trauma and pain in our own selves, we will perpetuate that against, against others. Or when we're harmed, uh, rather than, than solely or primarily keeping it internally, we want to lash out. <clears throat> we want to strike out against the person who has, who has harmed us or wounded us. And we can do that in different ways. <clears throat> um, it, these, our options could be really overt and obvious and dramatic or they might be really covert and subtle. So we could act out in a really dramatic way. Let's use an extreme. We could pick up a weapon and harm somebody, right? They harm us and we want to respond with revenge. Uh, and some people do respond in that way. Uh, we could go lash out at the person verbally. We could attack them uh, mentally, emotionally, physically. Or another option might be that we attack them in more subtle and covert ways, but no less damaging. Maybe we just become incredibly passive-aggressive towards them. We withhold our presence. Maybe we offer them the silent treatment. We withhold our presence and ourself from them in hopes that that will somehow hurt them. Or we speak uh, denigratingly of them to other people. We hope that we can bring others into our circle of, of pain and that somehow that will get revenge against this person who has harmed us. And in doing so, what we do is we just continue the cycle of hurt and pain and revenge because when we are harmed and we harm other people, we've created a new harmful event which then keeps this cycle going. And we don't have to think uh, too far, to use our imaginations too far, to know of entire families who at root of their story is, we're gonna get back at so-and-so for what they did to, to so-and-so, right? That is literally at root uh, of their family tree and lineage, is this pattern of 50 years ago, so-and-so happened, you know, such-and-such such happened to so-and-so, and, -so, and we're gonna seek revenge for that. Uh, so this is, this is one option. This is what we would do if we were to choose not to, not to forgive. But because we are here to talk about the kingdom practice of forgiveness, uh, let's talk about what it might look like if we are to make the incredibly brave and risky and beautiful and messy practice uh, choice to, to practice forgiveness. What would, that, what would that look like? As we've talked about, and this is what I attempted to try to, to show here in this, in this drawing, when we are harmed, uh, the cycle that we can, rather than going and, and, and re-entering into the cycle and perpetuating that, the choice of forgiveness cuts that cycle off. It says, I have been harmed, 
But the ways that I'm going to choose to respond to this are not going to fuel the unending cycle of revenge and harm. I want to seek to disrupt that cycle. And what I attempted to try to show here is that in doing so, not only do we disrupt the cycle, we open up an opportunity to a new reality. We open up opportunity to new options rather than merely getting stuck in this terrible cycle of, of harm and revenge and harm and revenge. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about the process of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word um, phases. You could say steps. Um, you could use whatever term you want. But, but regardless of whatever term you use, I want to highlight that um, these are not always linear. And they're not always progressive, meaning we might start with, with one point and have to work our way backwards, or we, we revisit a step that we, we thought we walked through, and then you realize, oh, some more stuff just came up, and I need to take a step back. So this is not meant to be a threefold successful plan for forgiveness that is foolproof and will somehow make you richer and happier. Um, this is just meant to say, okay, if we're going to get into the, this messy process, then what are some, uh, what are some of the sites that we're going to see along the way? What are some of the things that we're going to need to do and experience along this, along this journey that's going to take some, some bends? It's going to weave along the way. So I'll use uh, some of the language from one of the books that we've, we've highlighted to you all, which is the Book of, of Forgiveness, which is co-authored by Desmond Tutu, former Archbishop of South Africa. Uh, phase one, telling the story. As Dwayne reminded us a few weeks ago, we have to start with the facts. We have to, almost like a crime scene, where folks are coming in and trying to discern, okay, what happened here? We have to start with the facts. And it's important to name that um, very specifically, partly because we have to remember accurately what actually, what actually happened. <clears throat> we need to tell someone. We need to tell someone what, what happened. We need to be careful with, with this part, I think, for a lot of reasons, both for our own protection and that of, of the other persons involved. So we need to be really mindful who we tell. For some things, it might just be you just write it down. You have a, a journal that you, uh, you write in. And this can be helpful if, at least initially, you don't want to involve other people. Um, but you need a space to be able to get it out. Sometimes writing it out specifically helps disrupt the sometimes never-ending cycle of, of thoughts and images that come in, in your mind. If you're anything like me, um, I will, I'll, I will uh, be disrupted at times and realize I just spent 10 minutes thinking of possible conversations I could have had with somebody and all the things I could possibly say. And then if they said this, then I would say that, and that would be really, really good. That would get them right. You go and you've got entire uh, dialogue that's totally hypothetical and you never actually have. And sometimes to get out of that cycle, you just have to write some, some things out. Um, so sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it's talking to a trusted friend. And again, being, being careful with that, who we, who we share with, someone that you know is going to be present for you. And not necessarily affirming everything that you share. You don't want someone to go, you're right, they hurt you, we're going to go get them, right? But you want something, someone affirming you and your personhood. That's what matters most. You need someone who is there to hear you and to be fully present with you and affirm you and your value and dignity as a, as a human being and that can keep what you say um, in confidence. 
or sometimes it might be a counselor uh, or a spiritual director or someone of a, a similar um, <coughs> excuse me similar training someone that is is trained to be able to hold space for you to be able to share and tell the story as we're as we're talking about we as humans we integrate our memories through the act of telling stories uh, there was one uh, study that the book mentioned from the, the 90s where um, scientists at Emory University did a study about resiliency in children. And they found that the extent to which children knew their family stories, that was the single best predictor or indicator of their emotional health and happiness and their ability to respond to, to trauma or stress. We know the opposite of this uh, we can think of families whom keep everything secret and then force at times their children and their children's children to keep things secret, to keep it in. We only keep this within the family. We don't talk about it. We don't tell the story. And not for the sake of, of actually um, keeping certain things that need to be uh, confidential and safe and protected within the family, but for the intent of, uh, oftentimes it's out of fear, right? or a lack of desire to actually just tell the truth and to speak what, what really happened. But the reality is that the body always keeps the score. In fact, there's a, a book that came out several years ago by a neuroscientist, I believe, and he talks about how our bodies always keep the score. So we could choose to not tell the story. We could choose to not articulate it. But your body is going to hold the story. Trauma is always going to take up residence within, within your body, and it's always going to harm you and then inevitably lead to harm for, for others. So even if we choose to not tell the story, our body holds that, holds that, that trauma, and sometimes, sometimes it takes up residence in very specific places and, and affects us in very particular ways, as Mary talked about a few weeks ago, the physiological effects of uh, not forgiving. So we need, we need to tell the story. We need to name the facts and say, here's what, here's what happened. We need to, for our second phase, we need to name the hurt. We need to name the hurt. Um, I think it's incredibly important, important that we not minimize or even evaluate our emotions at this point. We just need to name them and own them. Particularly, we could watch a, a, a video like the one we just saw and think, okay, I didn't have my church bombed and I didn't have my family members burned in front of me, so I just had this smaller experience, so I, I won't even, I'm like, I'm okay. And there's something to that that we then relativize our, our reality and realize, like, you know what, the little things I get upset about, like, I can probably let that, let that go. And there is something that I think is important to that. But hurt is hurt. And harm is harm and loss is loss, whatever it, whatever it may be, bigger, big or small. And we cannot let go of any feeling that we don't own, that we don't name. All we do, it's there, regardless of how we evaluate it. If we don't name it, we just suppress it. And if we're trying to work, work out this process of letting it go and releasing it, we have to actually name it very specifically for what, what the hurt is harm felt but denied will always find a way to express itself. So even if we do not articulate it, we don't name the hurt, it will express itself one way or another, sometimes years, years later. Another reason why this is so important is that we did not get to choose what happened to us. 
right? We didn't ask for the harm that, that came our way. But we do get to choose how we respond. And so in so many ways when we're harmed, we feel incredibly disempowered. The process of forgiveness is incredibly empowering, and this is, is part of where we get to take back the pen and start rewriting our story. There are parts of our stories that others wrote for us. We did not get a hand in choosing that. But there come times, uh, come times in our lives where we get to pick the pen back up and say, okay, I'm taking over now, and I'm going to be the writer for this story. And naming the hurt is an incredibly integral part of, of doing that to begin that, that process. It helps us find our voice, which can get lost in the middle of, of trauma. I've talked to some people who are in their 60s and 70s and only then are realizing they have lived without having found their voice that was taken from them at five or six or seven years old. And they're devastated to think how much was lost by having not known fully who they are and that this is, this is my voice and this, was I, this is how I was meant to use it but it was taken from me. So being able to name the specific hurt helps us identify and locate our own voice. Sometimes it can be important to locate the specificity of our pain. So beyond just saying, he or she hurt me, taking time to really assess, okay, what, what was it about this? And to name very specifically, I felt really embarrassed. I felt shame in that moment. Or I felt like I had no value. If that person could have treated me that way, what I, what I discerned from that was that I don't have value or worth. And we need to get to the specificity of that pain so that we can actually work at that level, almost at the cellular level of the experience. We have to get down into to that plane to say, this is what specifically hurt me. And that takes some time to, to reflect and think on, but to be able to name the hurt very specifically. And then we just need to grieve. We need time and space to be able to, to grieve and to release it. The third phase is actually granting forgiveness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now part of the purpose behind the two prior phases that I mentioned is that they help to humanize the situation. And what I mean by that is that, first of all, it humanizes us. Um, if God has freed us up to live fully as human beings, and I'm convinced that that's what salvation is, that we are freed up to live fully as we are meant to be as human beings. This cycle of revenge, harm and revenge, harm and revenge, is not human. It is less than human. And so to choose to live into a different way is to live more fully as human beings, the way God has, has meant for us to, to live. So, so again, this is about humanizing us. It also is about humanizing us um, by meaning we have to believe that we have dignity and value and worth in order to begin the process of forgiveness. Because if I don't believe that as a human I have dignity, then there is nothing to to forgive because you've harmed someone who doesn't have value. I have to be able to own and name my dignity and root ourselves in who we are as image bearers of God to say, the reason this matters is because I'm a child of God and I have dignity and I have value. It also helps to humanize 
our enemy or our abuser or whoever it is that, that harmed us because, and this is hard, because if we are image bearers of God, then so is he or so is she. And the worst thing that we do or the worst thing that he or she has done does not take away from his or her image bearing. We may not be reflecting in that moment. The perpetrator may not be reflecting that in the moment. But the person is still an image bearer. And part of going through these processes and actually beginning to grant forgiveness is to name, is to locate, is to affirm the image-bearing capacity of this other human being who's harmed us. And as I've said before, that might be the only nice thing we can say about that person at that time, right? We might not love them. We might even hate them at times. We might, uh, at points, wish for their demise and their harm, right? Let's just be real. That might be the only thing that we can go back to, is that somehow this person still bears the image of God. There's a concept that has always struck me in the book we've referenced. Um, he talks about this a little, a little bit. He talks about it. Uh, Desmond Tutu talks about it more fully in the book um, "No Future Without Forgiveness," which is a profound text. But it's this concept of Ubuntu, uh, which is a specific word, um, and I forget the, the specific community in Africa where this this word comes out of. Uh, but the word means humanity. And specifically what it means is that a person is only a person through other people. Now for us as uh, 21st century Westerners, this is a really difficult concept for us because we are children of the Enlightenment, right? We came out of 17th and 18th and 19th century persons who said, I think, therefore I am. And we have been... Uh, products of hyper-individualization of everything. So it's all about us as individuals. It's all about me as an individual. Now, we recovered something in that I think is important, which is you as an individual have dignity and worth and value. The problem is we, we isolate that out of a sense of community. We, we individualize, or excuse me, we, we, we prioritize the individual and, and divorce us us and ourselves as, as individuals from the concept of community. But this idea of Ubuntu is that you cannot be a human outside of community. Your humanity is rooted in your place in, in community. Uh, we've talked about this a, a while ago, but if you think back to what we mentioned about the Trinity, that God exists in relationship, that God is a relationship of three persons, you cannot separate any of those three persons of the Trinity. Together, yes, there are three individual identities there, three different roles, but they are, you, you can't extract one and assume that you still have God somehow. God is a community of three persons. And we as image bearers reflect that in our humanity. You cannot isolate uh, one person. <clears throat> Excuse me. And here's why this is important, uh, specifically for our, our purposes regarding forgiveness. When we choose to forgive, we choose to, to, to walk through this phase of granting forgiveness, we set in motion not only our own healing process, we're contributing to the healing of the world. 
It is for us, yes, because we matter, because we have value. And part of our value is found in humanity. So when we choose to reject the cycle of harm and revenge and harm and revenge and say, I want to disrupt that and I want to open up a possibility of something else, we are saying yes, as I mentioned at the beginning, our decision is affirming some version of the world and we're saying yes to a world where we disrupt that cycle and we open up our opportunities for life and love and reconciliation. And that is, again, not just about us, but that's for others. We might not think about it in that way in the moment. We might not even have the headspace to think about that in the moment because we're just trying to think, how am I not going to kill this person that has wounded me so gravely? But in reality, that is what we're doing. We are opening up, creating space for dynamic healing for all of humanity. And that's the only way that we can, we can move forward to live into the kingdom of God. Because if we know, as we've said before, that we know what's coming, and that is the restoration and healing of all things, the only way we can live into that now and almost pull that future into our reality now is to say, wherever we see that's that cycle of harm and revenge, we're going to cut it off at its roots, and we're going to somehow live differently. We reclaim our story. As I said before, we take the pen back. <clears throat> we rewrite our story and we root our story in God's. So if the story that God is telling is that all things are being redeemed, all wounds are being healed, as Josh mentioned from the text in Revelation today, that God is literally going to wipe the tears from our eyes, that nations will be restored broken bodies will be healed, and so on and so forth, all the images that we see of new creation in Scripture, if that is a story that God's telling, then what we get to do when we take the pen back, we say, I'm going to write this part of my story, we locate our story in the story of God that we believe is actually more true than anything else. And so finally we release the person from the debt that they owe us. As we've said, forgiveness is not minimizing or pretending that we have not been harmed because we have. There is a debt somehow that this person now, now owes us because they've robbed us of something. And we just choose to say, you don't owe me that. You don't owe me that. And we release them and release ourselves in the process. <clears throat> the final phase is determining whether we will renew the relationship or release it. We, we will spend our last teaching week together a few weeks from now, uh, five or so, specifically on that phase to talk about how do we discern whether reconciliation is right for that time. And uh, so we'll talk about that more. So I won't even mention it today, but just to say that that is the, the next phase in this, in this process. Um, <clears throat> tell me what you're hearing, thinking, feeling, what thoughts or questions come up for you in all of this. I do think it's great to reiterate uh, the way you are about the greater good and sort of the long-term goals of God's kingdom and that forgiveness and entering that flow um, is redemptive in nature. It's a big picture. And you know, even Jane, our guest last week, mm -hmm. who was dealing with 
former child soldiers, rescued child soldiers in the midst of trauma is saying from the front lines in Uganda mm -hmm. that forgiveness is really about the individual. I understand what she means. And, and you mm -hmm. see that in some of the videos we've played. And I, I think you just don't tell a person that there's greater goals involved in the midst of the trauma. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So I think we, this is, this is just a phase. This is another phase that is long and overarching and eventual. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate what she has to say, and I don't negate any of it, because I can only imagine what she's dealing with on that front line in the midst of trauma. We can all understand that from our own hurts. In, in that moment, you don't necessarily need to hear from somebody, yeah, but you know, forgiveness is really for their good too. You know, let's, let's keep a big picture here. You know, you kind of have to whittle it down to the individual at that moment who's experiencing the hurt. And, and yes, it's very true that forgiveness initially and, and in that moment is, is primarily about their healing. But yes, this is a great teaching because it does move us to, and the Lord's Prayer moves us mm -hmm. to the fact that all things are being redeemed and heaven's being ushered in. And forgiveness has to be for both perpetrator and the, the one who is hurt. I want to thank you for opening and giving to this forgiveness for my son. Um, but as an addict, stolen from us so mm -hmm. very many things. But the one thing that haunts me that I haven't been able to let go of and that I grieve over and over is that he stole a brooch. It was my baby. Mm -hmm. He was dead. And I had a tumultuous relationship with her anyway. And I was so hoping that by adopting Peach, since I couldn't have children, I was hoping that maybe that would redeem that part of me that felt Mm -hmm. So 
so it's sort of like a double. Mm -hmm. um, the betrayal of my dignity is first. And now I think I I'm forgiven. Because mm -hmm. now I know what the root of it was. It wasn't the grudge. And it wasn't the mom's grudge. It was that that I believed Satan's lie again that there was something wrong with me mm -hmm. and that it wasn't worth giving up mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that yeah. others Thoughts, feelings, frustrations. Um, I know I talked to Jane last week, and she was saying that it was hard for some of the kids to come in to the group and say, do you see that kid over there? That's the child that killed my father. Mm -hmm. And for them to be traumatized by that all over again. And so we talked about helping to cultivate empathy and understanding for that child because they were forced to kill mm -hmm. in front of other and so this child was forced to kill their family and so to feel that oh they went they were going through the same thing I went through um, and so um, it, it it took me years when I joke about it but you know sometimes I'll have parents come in and they're understandably anxious about their children but they'll be just in my face and I am like oh okay what, what can I do to help you what can I do and then if I can get them talking they've lost their health insurance they've lost their house they're homeless they're, they've got all these things going on and so if I can understand where they're coming from a little better then I am better able to pick it and say okay I, I understand where you came from now <laughs> you know um, and so I think Part of that um, is, is, is forgiveness, is saying, yes, this is about me and letting go. But I do think it can help you get closer to forgiveness if you can have any understanding of the other person mm -hmm. and what they've gone through or what they're, where they're coming from or their situation. And that's not always possible. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I just wanted to add that part of it, too, is trying to find a and understanding or empathy, if possible, mm -hmm. of the other person can help you in that forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I've <clears throat> shared with you all about my prior work with trauma survivors, specifically sexual trauma survivors. And in virtually every case for these young women that had been, um, had been violated in this way, if they knew anything about their abuser, it was that that person had also been harmed in a very similar way. That never negated the fact that, that this young woman I was working with had been harmed. It wasn't, well, just kind of feel bad for the person that, that harmed you and, and move on. No, they were harmed and violated in horrific ways. And we were there to help with that, right? Just to offer support and, and help her walk through that. But part of the healing process and not necessarily right away as you all have, have named but part of that process at times was them being able to, to humanize the person who had harmed them and understand perhaps this person was acting out of the same cycle of harm and revenge 
and their revenge was not against their, their abuser, it was against another person. And so then the young woman that I'm working with was at the crossroads to say, and am I gonna perpetuate that cycle? And at times they had, with younger siblings or whoever. Uh, and now they were at this crossroads to say, do I, <clears throat> do I wanna continue in that? Or do I wanna disrupt it? And I'll be the person to say, even though those have harmed me, um, had themselves been harmed, I will be one of the first ones to say, I stop that. I stop that, that, that cycle. And that, that absolutely necessitates some sort of humanization of the other person, whenever that's possible. Whenever, meaning whenever in the, in the, the, the phases here as we <coughs> talked about, that it's possible to get there, because it's not often at the beginning. Yeah. Train of thought, mm -hmm. Moana's story, and a lot of the things we've discussed in here mm -hmm. just emphasize how important the naming and telling part of this process is. You know, whenever we're hurt or in the midst of that emotion, um, we often want to skip step three and grant forgiveness because we know that we should and we're called to, and it's just impossible. And so, this naming and telling process is part of the fa these phases are so critical and kind of getting up at 10,000 feet and seeing a bigger picture and seeing all of what really happened, naming what we really feel and discerning that hopefully through a community and through journaling and all these other ways that can help us because um, it's just, you know, we can't often see the forest for the trees. Mm -hmm. We have to sort of zoom out and through through therapy, through spiritual direction, through, through community, we can kind of parse out this complicated mess and you know, pull out the emotions that really are fueling the fire, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and this, I mean, I love this, uh, the way Tutu lays this out because, and, I, and I, I confess I tend to be too linear of a person, but it definitely helps me understand that you kind of got to get it on the table and kind of start putting this puzzle back together in the midst of brokenness, it can be so blinding. Mm -hmm. and you just, just don't know how to get to number three until you really get to one and two. Mm -hmm. yeah. in, the, in a couple of weeks when I share my story, I plan on going through those steps and mm -hmm. telling and naming because I do think that's a good way to start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, sometimes you're back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's not a linear path. Yeah. Anyone else? Any final thoughts you want to share? Um, yes, a, a bit will be next week on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, lastly, today is Easter. We acknowledge that in Christ's body, that he absorbed every form of death that was directed at him. Um, and through that, brought new life. <clears throat> and in the midst of all that, he articulated and granted forgiveness to those who harmed him. Uh, so we have it as our example, and because we uh, are gathered in the name of, of Jesus who um, 
defeated death and brought life, we not only follow his example, we are empowered to do so. Because the same power that's at work to bring him out from the grave is the same power that's at work in the midst of us uh, to live fully into the kingdom, to grant forgiveness to those who have harmed us. Peace to you. Happy Easter. Thanks for being here. Peace also with you.